Vacation starts with VA. One thing you'll love about your trip to Virginia is that you'll never have to settle for one thing. All that you love is all in one trip. Start yours at virginia.org. But for many people, I want to normalize this, that many people do decide to take a step back from family or from loved ones and create more space for some time. This doesn't necessarily mean that we need to end a relationship. And I'm also not recommending that you ghost someone. In fact, ending a relationship is the last place that we want to get to. You know, sometimes ending and terminating a relationship is not a form of boundary, but rather it is a form of saying, I can't even communicate this with you. So there are all kinds of other steps that we want to do first before we get to cutting off somebody from our life. I know you are doing the best that you can right now. Your relationships matter to you. You are important. And yet over time, we get stuck. We get lost or we stop showing up as our true self. We get hung up on the stories we tell ourselves, the comparisons, or feeling like we are not good enough. I'm Not Your Shrink is a podcast aimed at helping you feel connected to yourself, to others, and to live a life that is in line with what matters most to you. I'm Dr. Tracy Dalglish, clinical psychologist and couples therapist. I bring you clinical knowledge and evidence-based research, experiences of sitting in the therapist chair and being a wife and mother to talk about everyday issues we all face to help you change the dialogue in your life. Let's dive in. I'm going to start by calling out where I actually started before clicking record this morning. And this is usually a great way for me to start by showing up authentically. And that is with a conversation that I had with Greg this morning. I'm running out the door. The kids are kind of in a mood. It's just one of those days where I need to get to the office to record this episode before starting my clinical day. I'm so thrilled I get to do it. But I said to him, I'm like, remind me, it doesn't need to be perfect because guess what? When I do these Q&A sessions, I have this perfectionism and enoughness that likes to show up in the background. If you've been with me since January, you know my inner critic is very much on a perfectionist streak. And this year, I actually set my intention, my one word attention as enoughness. And there are all of these factors that are contributing to how I want to show up today. So I said to Greg this morning, remind me that I just need to show up. And he's like, People don't want a perfect podcast. People want you in conversation. They want to be walking with you and be chatting with you. And it was a great reminder from him that, hey, Tracy, you don't need to be perfect. So I'm starting here and letting you know that I am tossing that I am not enough theme and I'm just going to show up with you completely authentically. And I hope you can also maybe take this as a message to you if you are someone that also tends to lean into this space. Today is one of my favorite episodes because this is where I get to go through your questions and answer them. And this has been something as like my Dear Abby. I love a Dear Abby column. I love reading Lori Gottlieb's column in The Atlantic. I think she does such a fantastic job answering questions. And it is something that I truly enjoy doing with you as well. So today we're going to tackle some big questions. The first one being when we don't have our village, our own family of origin in the same city with us and preparing for another child. What do we do with our boundaries when they're not respected? Our favorite topic 
here and I see the downloads. Anytime I talk about boundaries and family, these are the episodes you are sharing with other people, which I'm always so grateful for. So we're going to talk about boundaries when other people don't respect them. But then we're also going to talk about a very specific situation where your partner prioritizes their mother over you and your marriage. Okay, so how are we going to tackle the mother-in-law? Let's jump into our first question. This one comes from Sarah. So Sarah, thank you so much for writing to me. And if you are listening and thinking, gosh, Dr. Tracy, I have a question for you. You can ask your question over on drtracyd.com forward slash podcast. Sarah says, could you provide insight on the struggles associated with not having family in the same city where you live and are raising children? Something I struggle with tremendously, particularly as I have had my struggles with my in-laws, who are technically the only family we have in Ottawa. My childhood consisted of regular family gatherings with cousins, aunts, uncles, and grandparents, with a 15-month-old and one more on the way in June, traveling five hours to see my family will become more challenging and less consistent, which breaks my heart. Sarah, thank you for asking this question. And I can hear a few different pieces coming through here. So the first I hear there's a struggle of being in the city without family support. And there's a longing and a desire. And I also wonder about this experience of grief. I think labeling grief is a really important process. And oftentimes when I label it with clients in my office, they're surprised when we go into this feeling of grief. And we often think of grief as the loss of a person or the death of someone rather than viewing it as a loss of expectation or a loss of an experience or a desire or a wish. So let's go into this. When it comes to the current reality of you being in the city with your in-laws, I think one of the things that I look at is how do we carve out the support that we need in ways that are going to work for us? And this often comes from this space of acceptance, accepting that whoever is near us, that family, so your in-laws, they are not going to be your family. And we can't really expect that from other people, right? They're not people we grew up with. We don't know the ins and outs. They do things differently than how your family does. And for many people, they feel really lucky to have that support with them. But for others, there might be a bit more tension or it might not feel so great. So one of the important things is that we look at what is and we accept the isness of a situation. And that is that your in-laws are here and knowing just how hard this season is for parents. Remember, I'm sure I've said this in other podcast episodes. I know I speak about this on Instagram all the time. Having children is incredibly hard on a marriage. And adding a second child is also hard on a marriage. And we don't talk enough about just how hard it is. And actually, for Greg and I, we had the first layer of hard having our first, but really that hard, deeper resentment came in when our second child was born because we were pulled apart, uh, hamming and egging, you be with one kid, I'm with the other, and then all of the other things that are on top of it. And so what are your areas of flexibility during this season so that you and your partner can still lean on support in whatever way that looks like? I don't know Sarah's context in terms of what the in-laws look like and the relationship there, but are there some ways that could work in terms of you having some sort of village or support. And sometimes that might look like your husband taking the toddler to their place for an hour for relief for you. 
Sometimes it looks like meeting at the park and so that the grandparents can play with the kids, but you have that chance to step back or they bring meal support. And so maybe even with this transitioning right here, this, this season of transition, you can look at what are our hard no's? What are things that I don't want from my in-laws? But then also what are areas of flexibility tuning into what it means in terms of what our values are and what really matters to us? I think it's important that we adjust our expectations when it comes to living without our families nearby. And I mean, truthfully, I could have written this question myself, minus the in-laws in my city. So Greg and I live in Ottawa. We do not have family support here. And it really was a stage of learning to accept the hard of this and how difficult it is. And so adjusting our expectations of what was possible was really important for us as a couple. And I think that sometimes what we do is we look outwards at what other people are doing and we wish to be able to have those things. It's so easy to be able to look around and see other people who have their families in town and have that village support and then to feel really down for ourselves instead of then going inwards and saying, okay, this is our reality. And while this is hard, I can hold two things to be true. This is really hard. And we can find a way to make this work for us. And for Greg and I, a lot of that was finding ways to have day dates or leaning on other types of support. And that other types of support sometimes look like outsourcing where possible. Okay, now when I think about outsourcing, I know that this can sometimes feel like it comes from a very privileged perspective. And I also remember one of my first thoughts being, I can't afford a cleaner. There's no way I can afford to bring a cleaner into our family care team. Hear me out because I don't want you to walk away from today's episode thinking, okay, Dr. Tracy just said to find a house cleaner and then we'll be better. That's not at all what I want to say. But there are other ways that we can find people to bring into our care team. And I think this is really important when it comes to not having support in the same city for you. When my second was born, I reached out to a teenager in the neighborhood and she became my mother's helper. She would come for one hour a day. And that sometimes meant that I had to make wiggle room in the financial budget of being able to have that support to come in. Or maybe there is a neighborhood teenager or another neighbor who can bring up the trash bins for you, or there's a friend in town that can bring you a meal. And I think what this means when our families don't live in the same city with us is that we have to get really good at verbalizing our own needs. And I can speak from this with experience in that I'm not really good at doing that. So if I were to look back, I rarely reached out. And it's easy for me to sit here and say, reach out, ask for more help. It's something that I struggled with. So what gets in the way? For me, my narrative that gets in the way of reaching out for help to people is I don't want to be a burden to them. I can assure you that if you have worried about being a burden to other people, you are not the person who is a burden on others. And so our job then is to get really good at asking for what we need. Can you help me? Can you bring me a meal? Would it be possible for you to come over and sit beside baby while I go have a shower? And people are often wanting to support others. This is what it means when we have friends, but we need to let them know. We need to wave the flag and say, hey, I'm struggling. Would you be able to? The other piece that I think is really important when it comes to this 
struggle of having two young children, not having the support with you is looking at how you and your partner can shift and trade off. And I think this is actually really hard to do because, well, for many people, I think there's this yearning to be together as a family and wanting to be the four of you. And at the same time, if you are the four of you and you are together all of the time, exhaustion shows up, you lose nurturing your own identities. And that is really important, particularly in these early stages, these early seasons where your children need a lot from you. And they also need to see you and get used to you nurturing your identity. My daughter wouldn't take the bottle. I think we're going to say like until eight months, she would not take the bottle. And that was incredibly hard for me. She is my teacher of acceptance and letting go of my own plan. Actually, both of my children have been teaching me this message. And that meant that for me to leave, it felt really hard. And my time to leave was in shorter stints. But it was so important for me to get out, whether I'm just going for a drive, if I'm going to go get a coffee by myself, something for me to nurture me. So Greg and I did a lot more of the shifting where one person was with both kids and then the other one would go out. And also making sure that our partners have the chance to experience that. I know that mothers tend to be the ones to shift into, I'm with the two kids. I get left with the two kids while my other partner goes and leaves the home. And yet I also know that your partner is competent to do that and they need to have the chance and opportunity to do more of that so that they can learn up, so that they can grow their skills in the same way that you have. Support for today's episode comes from ZocDoc. We all know there are things in life we have to compromise on, like the right way to load a dishwasher or whether those socks are going to stay on the floor for a week. Okay, in all seriousness, but when it comes to your mental health, there is no compromise. So we don't need to go back to that one therapist or one physician who didn't align with what we need just because they're available right now. We don't need to compromise on the care we need for our overall wellness. Instead, this is where ZocDoc comes in. This is a place where you can find and book hundreds of types of doctors, including therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists. And you can find someone who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your well-being. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of patient-reviewed in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance. Go to ZocDoc.com I-N-Y-S and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. If I needed this app, this is one that I would be going to. That's zocdoccom slash I-N-Y-S and get the care that you need today. Support for today's episode comes from Cozy Earth. You know I am all about caring for ourselves, especially in these busy years with our young kids. We are pulled in so many directions, but I think it's so important for us to find ways to nurture ourselves that require no additional time from us. 
I should probably let you in on one of my favorite things to do to look after me, and that is to get a good night's sleep on amazing sheets. I am beyond thrilled to bring you Cozy Earth's luxurious bedding products with an exclusive Mother's Day offer just for my listeners. We've got a code. It's SHRINK, S-H-R-I-N-K, for 35% off at CozyEarth.com. Now, I didn't believe it until I tried them, but I firmly stand by my sleep improving with the temperature regulating technology, which adapts to your body's needs. For the past year, I have not slept on any other brand of sheets. Cozy Earth uses the very best fabrics, materials, and wares, offering superior softness for you to sink into at the end of those long days. I look forward to getting into bed, and we've been loving the sheets for over a year and their sleepwear is so unbelievably soft and it's made with such great quality. But the best part is that if you're worried about commitment, enjoy a 100 night sleep trial and a 10 year warranty on all of your purchases. Head over to CozyEarth.com and use promo code SHRINK for an exclusive 35% off and give the luxury she deserves with Cozy Earth. All right. I think the other thing too here is that when our family isn't in the same city with us, our community, our village starts to look different. And it does take time. I think we need to accept that it takes time to be able to find this. You know, I'm so cognizant of when I say this, that when I had my two kids, we were not in a pandemic and now we are shifting forward into there. I know there are more activities available for parents than what there were when perhaps your first child was born, Sarah. And now can we then find programs within the city that you're in? Or can we also be at the park and connecting with others? If there is one thing that I remind moms of, it is to shift perspectives and to take the spotlight off of you. We're so good at doing that. We all have a spotlight effect on ourselves, which says other people are looking at me. Other people are judging me. Other people have these thoughts of me. And so I'm just not going to do anything. And yet imagine each mom at the park has their own spotlight effect, thinking the same thing. And instead, what if we took the spotlight and we shone it somewhere else and then we saw the other person who's having all of the same vulnerabilities as you are and we took the risk to reach out and to say hello and to ask questions with each other and build that friendship and connection. And we don't know where that could go. Now let's shift into talking about grief. Your childhood offered you something that was so valued and cherished and This is something that Greg and I have also talked about in terms of our own experiences with our kids is that when we were children, when we grew up, we grew up in two different cities. I grew up in a small town and all of our families were within our respective towns. And we had those family gatherings, the family events where we were all together. I think sometimes as kids, we can view these gatherings as effortless and we don't see the adult related issues of planning family gatherings and get togethers. So in some ways we have rose colored glasses looking backwards, but that wasn't your job as a child. Your job was to experience family gatherings and being all together. But I think what's clear here is something that is meaningful to you. And that's one of your values. And this is around family time. I'm going to come back to this, but I just want to, again, acknowledge that grief does come with different stages. And that when we think of those stages, it isn't about just coming out of this and then just being okay. But rather, there are going to be waxes and wanes of different feelings of anger that you're not with your family, of feeling really sad and depressed that there is this loss here. 
And then sometimes we might shift into more of that acceptance space, which is I can be okay with this. I can still be sad and I can accept that this is what it is. I want to do one more piece with this question because I think it's so important. So let's talk about this from a values perspective. And this is actually an exercise that I do with my clients in session. And for those of you who are psych junkies like me, I'm talking about the matrix exercise that comes from acceptance and commitment therapy. Here's the thing. We often have a value, something that's really meaningful to us. On the other side, though, we get stuck. We get caught in all of these narratives and stories, these hard thoughts and feelings that pull us away from our values and what's important to us. So for some parents with young children, it might sound like this. I could never travel five hours with two kids under two. This is so hard. I can't do it. Why me? I'm going to be anxious the whole time. This sucks. I don't want to. And the more we get stuck and wrapped up in spiraling into those hard thoughts and feelings, we naturally as humans have to find a way to deal with that. So what do we do? We then find a way to make them go away. Maybe we get stuck into avoidance. Maybe we say we never travel. Maybe we stay home. Perhaps we say to our parents, don't text or invite me because I don't want to feel the pain of not going. And what happens here is that we get into this feedback loop a negative feedback loop because it pulls us away from what is really important to us, which is, right, when we're stuck in those hard thoughts and feelings, then we're like, no, I could never, I'm not going to travel, we're not going to see my family. It pulls us away from what is really important to us. Then we're no longer doing things that are aligned with our values, which means we're not doing the things that feel good for us at our core. So I want you to imagine this. You have a choice. You are now standing in the middle of what you value on one hand and on the other hand, this feedback loop. And you can step back and say, I notice. I notice myself having the thought of, I notice I keep telling my story that this is too hard and I could never. And what we want to do here is we want to unhook ourselves from our stories. And one of the most powerful things we can do is instead of saying, this is so hard, I can't do this drive, how will I ever you say, I notice my mind telling me this story. And when I ground myself and connect myself back to the present moment, then I can make a choice that is aligned with my values. The other way we can view this is by acknowledging that there is something really hard and I can do hard things. When it comes to our values, when it comes to making choices that in the long run connect us to what's really meaningful for us, I want you to know that you can absolutely do those hard things. And while it's going to be hard and there will be anxiety and there will be exhaustion and fatigue, you can still also do those hard things when something is really important to you. All right, I'm shifting into my next question, which is, what do you do when someone doesn't respect your boundaries? I voice my boundaries, but they are ignored five minutes later. Can you just raise your hand, please? I believe that would be all of us, right? Because here's the thing. When we go into boundary setting, one of the hangups that we have is that people will be so happy that we have set a boundary and that they'll just instantly respect it. And yet that is the furthest thing from the truth. And I think when it comes to boundary setting, what we need to first step back from is acknowledging that people are indeed going to be upset by your boundaries. And if we can expect that, then we can also come up to the next piece, which is there are two pieces needed when it comes to boundaries. One is communication. What is it that I want 
What is it that I don't want? So we are communicating that boundary to other people. Remember, boundaries are this invisible line between you and me. The invisibility piece is key because we can't expect others. And often we do expect others, but I think it's really important for us to remember that our boundaries are our responsibility to communicate to others. It's invisible in that sense. We have to let others know what we want and what we don't want to happen. And essentially, we're having a needs conversation here. And so when it comes to our boundaries, then not only do we need to communicate what it is that we want to need, but we also need to take action. It's not enough just to simply communicate it, but you need to have a plan of what your action is going to be next. What do you do next when someone doesn't respect that boundary? And then we can therefore prepare ourselves for these difficult moments where other people are going to be pushing and testing our boundaries, where other people are our boundary teachers, which means us learning how to sink into this upholding our boundary. Now, if you thought that communicating the boundary was the hard part, the harder part is actually the action. So here are some possible plans for you when people do not respect your boundaries. And oh my goodness, this is going to feel hard. Are you ready? End the conversation. End the visit. Change the topic. It's not enough to say no, but to change the topic. And one of the most common things I work through with clients in my office around boundaries is the tendency for us to enter into the conversation even when we don't want to. So here's the example. Your mother makes a comment about baby sleep and you respond with something like, I don't want to talk about it. We're following the guidelines. The guidelines say XXX, but mom, I've told you I don't want to talk about it. Here's the thing. You have just entered into that conversation. You have given your mother permission to talk about it by talking about the guidelines and what you're doing and all of the other things. And so sometimes then when we express our boundaries, our actions, which is the talking about it, are confusing for other people. And that confusing part here is that you've just entered the conversation. So a lot of my clients will say, I set the boundary. I told them I don't want to talk about it. I say, okay, great. Tell me what that looked like for you. My mother commented on sleep. And then I said all of these things and I reflect back. Isn't that interesting? What message were you giving to the other person by giving all of those details? And so changing the topic Ending the conversation is the behavioral action of saying, I'm not willing to talk about this. The other piece is restating the boundary. Be a broken record if someone doesn't respect it. So unfortunately, this person asking the question didn't give me any examples, but I'm going to go with baby sleep. Restating the boundary. I'm not going to talk about sleep with you. I know you love our little one and I'm not going to talk about our sleep choices. And of course, there is an element where we get to the point where our safety, our needs are not being respected. And that for many people, what they decide to do is they decide to take space. And this can be really hard in a family, particularly when it comes to navigating our relationships, navigating expectations, navigating cultural norms around what it means to be a family, around respecting perhaps even our own parents. But for many people, I want to normalize this, that many people do decide to take a step back from family or from loved ones and create more space for some time. This doesn't necessarily mean that we need to end a relationship. And I'm also not recommending that you ghost someone. 
In fact, ending a relationship is the last place that we want to get to. You know, sometimes ending and terminating a relationship is not a form of boundary, but rather it is a form of saying, I can't even communicate this with you. So there are all kinds of other steps that we want to do first before we get to cutting off somebody from our life. So I think that is really important that taking a step back doesn't mean I never want to be involved with you again. It means that sometimes I need a bit more space so that I can work on me and keep doing this on myself. And then also for you then to be able to start doing some of your own work. So remember, you always have a choice in terms of what the next plan is, in terms of what the action is when somebody doesn't respect your boundary. And I think this leads nicely into our next question. Support for today's episode comes from Loop Earplugs. For so long after having children, I kept wondering why I was easily overwhelmed and felt like an angry mom. The noise from the kids, the dog barking, and the sounds around me from everyday life. But I now understand that I'm not an angry mom and instead my nervous system gets overwhelmed and overstimulated, which is why I've been turning more and more to my loop earplugs to help me stay more regulated and engaged with the family. I'm using loop engaged to help dampen the sound around me. And these loop earplugs allow me to still be with every beat and conversation. I still hear Greg. I can still hear the kids. I love that they are so comfortable and they come with eight silicone ear tips to ensure the right fit for you. The best part for me is that I take them everywhere with me. They are proving the test of time and not to mention they're stylish in my ears. Plus, we love the kids versions, which we've been able to take to the movies for our kids. I'm so excited that Loop Earplugs is offering you, my community, a discount so that you too can tackle that overstimulation while still being engaged with the activities and people you love. Visit loopearplugs.com and use my code Loop times Dr. Tracy for 10% off your order. That's L-O-O-P-X-D-R-T-R-A-C-Y for 10% off your order. All right, our last question. My husband adores his mom, which is fine. It's his mom, but I often feel like he puts her needs or wants before mine, like it's a competition or something. He has said in arguments in the past that she is more important than I am and that she is always right. And even if she is wrong, he is going to back her up in a disagreement over me. What do I even do with that? I don't know if it's a Mexican culture thing that she is his number one or she has just groomed him to always put her first, even after he is married and has kids. I want to start by acknowledging this must have been an incredibly difficult moment when the person that you have said yes to, that you have children with, has said, I'm choosing my mom before you. That can be really painful when we are sitting with our partners and we know at our core that our arguments are often about wanting to feel seen, needing to feel important and connected with our partners, knowing that our partner is indeed choosing us. Sometimes these moments can become attachment injuries in our relationships. So I think it's important for us to acknowledge that if you are having an argument today And every time you have an argument today, a moment from the past starts to show up. And it sounds like, and then you said that you will always choose your mom over me. 
these can be significant injuries in our relationships that if we don't get to a place where we can work through that, it is going to continue to be the thread throughout all of our disagreements and arguments. And attachment injuries can be really big moments like infidelity or a loss of trust or not being there if a parent dies. But they can also be micro moments like these ones that really kind of rock our foundation of what it means to be in relationship with this individual. So if you do notice that you continue to go back into this disagreement and you're getting stuck, I always recommend seeking a resource outside of you, an objective other through a mental health care professional who treats couples so that you are not continuing to get stuck. That being said, let's explore some different parts here in terms of this question. And one of the things that I always want people to know is that when I answer these questions, I can't tell you what is right or wrong. And in therapy, I also don't tell you what's right or wrong because your right will always be what is going to be aligned with you and what is going to work for you in your marriage. And that has to also be something that works for both of you. Okay, let's look at this from the parent-child relationship as a place to start. As a parent, one of our jobs from an emotional, relational, and developmental perspective is to help our children become autonomous. The reality is this. In most cases, we, the parent, die before our children. Our goal isn't to keep our child under our wings and to obey us for the rest of their lives. Please don't confuse this with rushing your young children to be independent. This isn't what I'm saying. I think our young ones need us to be emotionally and physically present for longer than what we tend to think. What I am saying, though, is instead, our goal is to help build our children into autonomous individuals so that they can connect with us but still have their own separate thoughts, feelings, desires, and opinions, and to know that it's okay for them to disagree with us as the parent. And they can say things, you know, we don't so much speak like this, but it's this notion that I can be a separate self that has different thoughts and feelings from you, and that we can still coexist and be in this relationship together. With Building interdependence, that's what I'm talking about here. Building interdependence. We as parents honor our child's no. We help them learn what feels good for them and how to build healthy relationships with other people. We listen to them and we don't tell them how it's going to be. You know, just as an example, if I think of my daughter recently wanting to wear a pink sweater with a dress, but you know, the the blue sweater would have probably been better in terms of my own color decisions. It's not for me to tell my child what is going to be right for her. And so I think it's really important for us to understand that as the parent-child relationship, I don't want my child to then go into the world and then to have to agree with me or to have to back me up. And I think this is a developmental piece that we do need to teach our children in terms of them growing up. It's okay for you to not like me. It's okay for you to disagree with me and know that I, as your parent, will still love you. Let's look at how we might want to view a marriage and a committed relationship. 
When it comes to a healthy relationship, we want to be an us, a we. It is not you against me. And oftentimes we do this, right? It's like we're playing a tennis match and I'm on the other side of the net. But instead, what we need to do is be on the same team. We need to be playing doubles, not singles. And it's we, it's us against the other problem or the other person. And it wouldn't feel good for anybody to have the person you rely on, the person you trust to say, I'm going to take your mother's side before you. And I would imagine that's incredibly hurtful. At the core of our relationship, what we are looking for is a secure attachment bond. And these key pieces that make up an attachment bond include what Dan Siegel talks about are the four S's. We need to feel safe, secure, soothed, and seen. Safe being, I feel emotionally and physically safe with you. It's not just physical safety, it's emotional safety. You're not gonna take my words and my vulnerability and throw it back at me. I need to feel secure with you that when I'm vulnerable, you're going to be there and that you are a trusted individual. Soothed, when I come to you and I'm in distress, you are going to put down your phone and you're going to turn to me and see that I'm struggling. And then seeing that last one is, is to actually be seen for our internal thoughts and feelings and opinions. When someone says they're going to take their mother's side, this can break that sense of safety and security. I want to now connect this to sexual intimacy because, of course, you as a couple, you exist in all forms of intimacy, in all ways of connecting. And in order for people to be open to sex, that emotional security is a key prerequisite for many. We know that some people are intimate to feel close, while others emotionally open up to become intimate. And the question here is what does one need? Is it a physical or emotional security? And is either one right or wrong? And while neither one is wrong, what really does matter is that emotional security is a must. So when we then take that step back and when someone says to you, I'm taking my mother's side or I'm taking my parents' side, whatever that looks like, this does not create safety and security. And therefore, then it is going to impact our sexual intimacy. Okay, now I don't know how this conversation came up. So let's explore this from another angle, which is what is this fight really about? And if you're new to the podcast, I talk a lot about uncovering our old patterns and wounds and attachment injuries in my upcoming book. It is coming out this fall. It's called I Didn't Sign Up For This. A couple's therapist shares real life stories of breaking patterns and finding joy in our relationships including her own. In the book, I break down the common things that people show up into my office with, which is complaining about difficulties with sex, kids, in-laws, dishes, the mental load. And yet at the core, there's often something else going on. I'm so excited for you to read these stories because I know in each story, there's going to be something that you will be able to connect with. So something that Esther Perel talks about is the three reasons why couples might be fighting. It's so like what's underneath the disagreement. One, is it power and control? What is the fight really about? If it's power, how can you pull back some of that power? How can you make decisions around when you see your mother-in-law or how close of a relationship that you have with her? Or do you need more control and autonomy around the mental load with your partner? Are there other things that you two need to be addressing that this issue here with the mother-in-law is a symbol of something deeper underneath? Okay, power and control is one. Two, closeness and trust. 
So this begs the question of, are you feeling connected? Do you feel close? Do you trust each other? Or three, the third reason that is underneath, right? What is underneath these disagreements is respect and recognition. Esther talks about these three things that she's learned from Howard Markman. And so three is respect and recognition. Is this about respect? Does your partner have compassion and kindness towards you? And remember, agreeing with you is not really a sign of respect. You're allowed to disagree with each other. But what you do need in a relationship is empathy and validation. Respect means I cherish you. I see you have different needs than me. I am not denigrating towards you and your feelings. And of course, recognition can be such an important piece as well, which is about, I see all that you do here. And this can be something that people are missing in their relationship. So when it comes to revisiting this fight, when your partner says, I will always choose my mother over you, what is it really about? What's underneath that for you? Let's look at another pillar here, which is around culture. So it's not clear from this question, but if this is an intercultural relationship, then we really want to emphasize that you and your partner have two different value systems and beliefs. Now, I do think it's important that for all of us in our relationships, we recognize that we are two separate people. Even if you are from the same culture, you will have different background experiences. Even if you grew up in the same neighborhood and went to the same school, you will have two different experiences and we lose this. But I think if we're looking at an intercultural relationship, this is something that is even more important and that this can act as one of our guideposts that we need to navigate around in terms of what's really important to us. What alignment do we have with values? And then how do we compromise around that? So for example, we often don't enter into a relationship asking each other, where are your priorities? Where does your mother sit on the priority list? Where do I sit? And if you were to order the following values, what order do you put them in? Our kids, you, our marriage, your parents, what's the order? And if we can approach these conversations with more curiosity, then there's an opportunity for us to gain an understanding of where the other person is coming from, which can then create wiggle room for how you want to move forward. Inside my online program called Be Connected, I have a lesson specifically on compromise. This is a key skill that we all need in our relationship because ultimately there are going to be these areas in your life where you don't agree on and you're not supposed to be the same. Let's remember that in our relationship. But this guide helps you to identify what is the core need in this specific issue that you're having and then what are the areas of flexibility around that. In addition to being able to compromise, I think there are a lot of other relationship skills that are really important. And so not knowing the details of this argument that happened, only knowing the really hurtful thing that was said, I think what we know in relationships is that when we are triggered, when we become flooded, we are more likely to say really hurtful things. And that it's not if your partner is going to hurt you, it's when. And this can feel really uncomfortable, but we know that our partners hold up mirrors for us and reflect back to us really difficult things that oftentimes we are trying to work on for ourselves. So for example, are you able to communicate your needs to your partner? Are you able to share with them what it is that you feel and how you can get close again? Are you able to repair with your partner after these hard moments come up? 
When I think about some other things that are really important in your relationship, and particularly if you are in an intercultural relationship, is that it's going to be important to get to know what your partner's family values are and how you might be able to change and be flexible together. This doesn't mean that you have to agree with everything that your mother-in-law does or says, but it does imply that we're not going to get rid of your partner's family and that your partner's family can perhaps offer something different and unique for your kids and to have that community, to have the village. But again, this is about putting it into the bigger picture in your relationship, which is if I'm communicating my needs, if my husband and I feel close and connected, so I'm like drawing my hands, right? If we're close and connected in our own bond, then I can tolerate if my kids go off to my mother-in-law or if my partner then says something like, oh, like I have to do something with my mom. And knowing that it's you and your family unit and that the outside family members can still provide their own unique role. Something I like to remind parents of if there is conflict within extended family members is that you are the secure base for your children and that you have the greatest influence on them and what they are learning and that you can always go back and talk to them about some of these things. Lastly, I think something that we must acknowledge is that we do not get to change our partners. You can validate your partner. You can have boundaries with them, which are also important. You can learn to be a really good communicator and to express your needs, but ultimately we don't get to change them. And as a reminder, you chose your partner and that is where you want to spend your energy and your attention to improve your connection and your bond. And when we feel connected with our partner, when we feel close, secure, and supported with them, then we feel good in ourselves. And this is such an important piece because when we feel good in ourselves, then we also feel good to be able to parent our children. All right, I am wrapping up and I am so grateful for all of you for joining me here on the podcast Can I please ask a small favor from you? One of the best ways that people will be able to find me is through your likes, your shares, your ratings, and your follows. If you are not subscribed to the podcast, please click the little button at the top that says subscribe. You can also hit the review buttons. It takes one second, maybe two seconds to let me know how you felt about today's episode. Let me know if something resonated with you. Click the stars. And if you have a few words, I would love to be able to hear from you because this not only lets me know where you're at and if we hit the mark today, but it also lets others know about the podcast. And I'm always so grateful of your shares. I actually had my season two finale Q&A go viral. We had so many downloads on that episode. It was just absolutely amazing. And it was because of you and your shares, which I am so incredibly grateful for. All right, podcast listeners, thank you for joining me for another week. And I will see you next week. Remember, this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not substitute for the care from a licensed mental health care provider.
What's up, guys? I'm Gabrielle Stone, host of FML Talk. After being love-bombed, married, and cheated on, trust me, I've got some perspective on love, heartbreak, trauma, and healing. FML Talk has become weekly therapy for my listeners, where I give you a safe space to heal with, of course, a few F-bombs thrown in. Fun girl talk episodes, solo episodes that will guide you on your healing journey, and guests with stories that will leave your jaw on the floor. Grab a cocktail and come hang with me every Wednesday on FML Talk.